0: This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome back, 233. Rob Breckenridge with your final half hour here today, 403974-TALK. It's the number to call us up at. Uh, You can text us as well, and we'll get to some of your calls and texts before all is said and done here. Uh, Now, as you well know, uh, the federal government intends to legalize marijuana. Uh, Legislation to that effect is coming, we're told, in the spring. In the meantime, south of the border, even more states are going down this path. California, Nevada, uh, two of the states that voted to legalize marijuana last week on Election Day, uh, following the footsteps of Colorado, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon. So the move is certainly in this direction. Now, what are the potential downsides of legalizing? And should we be concerned about an increase of drug-impaired drivers behind the wheel? Now, we need to look at at, uh, marijuana, frankly, at each drug on its own merits. What is the impact that marijuana has on the user, on the brain? How does it impair somebody? What's the level of impairment that would cross the the threshold into criminal? Obviously, we're going to have a glass of wine with dinner. That's not criminal. We've set uh, an established threshold when it comes to alcohol and the point at which we believe you are impaired. We have a device that is used by police to measure that impairment. So obviously, we haven't put an end to drunk driving still. Far too many people die each year on Canadian roads as a result of alcohol impairment. So what about the challenges that marijuana brings? Uh, the Canadian uh, Automobile Association, uh, as well as the Traffic Injury Research Foundation, uh, are calling for a government-funded education program to warn about the dangers of marijuana-impaired driving. Uh, The CAA helped fund a study by the Traffic Injury Research Foundation. Uh, Joining us to talk more about all of this, please to welcome to the program Jeff Kazbrick, Vice President of Government and Stakeholder Relations for the Alberta Motor Association. Jeff, good afternoon.
1: Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, so explain what it is you're calling for here.
1: Uh, well, we're actually uh, calling for a few things. This is really uh, a multifaceted issue of which you you rightly said right at the top. Uh, we don't necessarily have the full extent of information for. So we're certainly calling for research in addition to some of the pieces that you listed. Um, I would also add to that uh, the ingestion type as well as the concentration of the different uh, forms of marijuana that we have, not uh, one form of marijuana is similar to the other Um, so there's a number of research questions that uh, that we're calling for as part of the report that uh, was brought out by turf and then what we're also uh, really wanting to make sure that we're doing uh, uh, in a very concerted way and uh, not losing any uh, additional time is having a conversation with the public and building public awareness and understanding that yes indeed uh, marijuana and indeed other drugs do impact and impair your ability to drive you know, Rob, we still have every now and then these uh, these myths and misconceptions that um, marijuana may not necessarily impact your ability to drive, but that's simply not the case. And so that's one of the uh, most important conversations that we're wanting to have right now.
0: Well, I don't know that anybody's saying it doesn't impact at all. I think the question is how much does it uh, impair? There was uh, a major study, of course, uh, last year from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration in the U.S., uh, they found that marijuana users are at a significantly lower risk for a crash than drivers who use alcohol. That the the risk of a marijuana impaired driver is not that much higher than that of a of a sober driver. So what do we make of those findings? Well, and and also what's
1: important is uh, is the amount of time in which you uh, have last used marijuana and then get. Uh, in behind the wheel, uh, because what we know is that uh, your impairment on alcohol is of a much longer duration than the impairment of uh, of marijuana. So THC, that active ingredient, has a much shorter um, half life than uh, than that of alcohol um, in in alcoholic beverages. So that's that's one of the considerations as well. Is um, how much time should you be giving yourself? It also depends on uh, on how frequent of a user you are, uh, these are all uh, a number of uh, questions that uh, that are out there and and let 's be very clear what it is that we're uh, making the suggestion of is not casting any judgment about what it is that you do um, but really separating those behaviors of uh, getting in behind the wheel and driving uh, from any substance use at all and that's that 's really what we 're calling for and then what this what this TERF report uh, that just came out uh, really outlined in a very clear way is the amount of research that we have on drug impaired driving generally uh, is extremely shallow to the enormous depth of questions that we have uh, related to uh, drug impaired driving. So uh, all that we are suggesting is that we, uh, we want to move forward very uh, concertedly, very methodically to make sure that we aren't placing ourselves um, in a in a difficult um, situation um, because of legalization of marijuana
0: well aren't we in that situation right now it's um, you know certainly statistics yeah. show that Canada has um, a, a significant pe- num- significant number of people who use marijuana mm-hmm. uh, right now, even before it's it's legal. So we've got the issue right now where, where people are using this drug. Uh, absolutely,
1: I think uh, what the legalization question um, introduces is um, I, I think it accelerates uh, that conversation that we need to be having. Although we don't necessarily expect that there's going to be this large surge of of new users, what we do have the benefit of being able to do is actually look. at the lived experiences of other jurisdictions. So let's go to the state of Washington. There was a study that was just done this year um, that found that from the point in time of legalization uh, in the state of Washington, there was a doubling of the number of uh, drivers uh, involved in, fatal collisions that were found to have THC within their blood. So when we start having results like that, uh, another study came out, 30% increase in fatal collisions since the time of uh, of legalization in uh, the state of Colorado. I want to be very clear, though, that doesn't necessarily attribute it to um, uh, marijuana impairment. it, It just introduces a number of questions uh, that we need to be able to address and, and just have a handle on. Um, the other piece that you that you raise in your question is, what is our ability to enforce that? And that's another really important aspect of, of the report that came out is um, we don't necessarily have a screening device at the roadside right now um, to be able to uh, uh, establish that pass-fail that, that exists right now for alcohol when you're immediately screened at the roadside, as well as what is our processing time. Um, given that, um, uh, as, as we've already talked about, THC has that much shorter half-life, um, how quickly are we able to process drivers um, to make sure that we can establish what their true impairment level is and not have an extended processing period where they essentially metabolize the active ingredient out of their bodies?
0: Well, and I think that that's that been the point raised about looking at some of these stats out of Colorado and Washington. Um, if somebody smokes a joint uh, and then a few days later they're in a fatal accident, the, you know, the, it's going to be in their system where the, the presence of it will be detected. That doesn't mean that there was impairment or that it caused let, the let accident.
1: Me- let me be very clear though because it that is it, you raise an important point but what we're speaking about is the active ingredient uh, within THC that is measured that is the influencer of your impairment we aren't speaking about because you're quite right um, everybody knows the story two or three weeks down the road if uh, if somebody had to do a drug test that there would be the detection of that that's not indicating that you're impaired that's in indicating that the drug is still within your body uh, but the active ingredient is is what it is that causes the impairment.
0: Well, it's uh, metabolites that they test for.
1: Exactly right. Yep, yeah, you're, you're precisely right. So when, when you're speaking about a fatal collision that may have happened a couple days after, um, that, that's not what we're speaking about when, when it is that I, uh, that I use some of those, uh, those results from the last study. That would be uh, impaired drivers um, uh, found to have THC, the active metabolite, within their blood.
0: Well okay but yeah I mean those those metabolites can linger in the body I think was the point even for uh, days no, And
1: and and you're quite right about that all that I'm just trying to make the point of and okay. I, I think it's an important uh point to make is uh is that it isn't um uh it isn't measuring uh the active ingredient that actually causes the impairment you can still have the detection of the drug within your system without necessarily being impaired so I just want to make that distinction so that it, it it's understood that Um, You know, even a couple days after, uh, uh, that's not uh, who it is that we're referring to when when we use some of the uh, the results of the studies that I had mentioned.
0: Right. Okay. So are are we at the point where we can say here's a threshold when it comes to THC levels uh, and this is where you would cross then the threshold of being legally impaired and here's how we're going to detect that. How far are we from that?
1: Well, you know what, there are some states actually, so both Colorado and Washington do use uh, a threshold, a per se limit of five nanograms of THC per milliliter of blood. Um, the challenge with that is, and and it's been appropriately stated before, that... Um, there isn't a direct translation or it isn't quite the same uh, when it is that you speak about 0.08 with alcohol because um, different people respond in different ways to different levels and concentrations of, of marijuana. And so what we're also seeing in those uh, uh, state legislations is that uh, it's not just that five nanogram per se limit level, but it's also um, with the addition of behavioral and physical evidence at the roadside that indicates uh, impairment. So your body has uh, sometimes some involuntary responses um, uh, that can be detected at the roadside from a physical or behavioral point of view uh, that also indicate uh, impairment. And so what these states are doing is they're having to utilize both of those pieces, uh, in order to bring forward uh, a case for conviction and and, uh, and dealing with it through the courts.
0: I mean, it seems as though there are a number of companies in both Canada and the U.S. who realize there's a demand for this. There's money to be made to yeah. to develop the first. Effective marijuana breathalyzer, uh, if we can call it that. So uh, does it seem as though maybe we're, we're on the, the cusp of, of that being developed?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think what is important to know is that we, although we have very limited research at this point in time, there's a number of people that are trying to uh, deal with some of those questions that we've talked about. So um, we, we certainly aren't with hope, without hope uh, and, and don't want to set that impression at all. Um, and in fact, actually, to that point of, of a screening device, um, uh, something called the lollipop test which is a saliva-based um, oral fluid test um, is being piloted right now and it in fact the great benefit of it is it actually detects multiple classes of drugs, so not just, uh, THC or marijuana. And so there's a, a great advantage that comes from that. There's also uh, a couple of challenges, one, a couple just to, uh, mention are one, uh, for those that are habitual users of marijuana, they very frequently will develop dry mouth. So, uh, you may not necessarily be able to collect that saliva sample that you need. Uh, and then the other is just from a, a resourcing and cost perspective is, uh, uh, these are single-use tests uh, that actually cost $40, um, uh, at this point in time, $40 per test. So that represents a significant financial burden that may have to be assumed by, uh, by police services. So there's still a lot of research to be done, um, but we also are, uh, as you said, on the cusp of, of dealing with some of these uh, questions.
0: All right. Well, Jeff, appreciate you making some time for us here today. Thanks for this.
1: Rob, thanks for your interest in it. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Take care, Jeff Casbrook. Uh, he's a vice president of government and stakeholder relations with the Alberta Motor Association uh, under the umbrella of the Canadian Automobile Association, partnering with the Traffic Injury Research Foundation uh, to raise some some awareness and some concern around this issue. And I think first and foremost, they feel as though there needs to be an education campaign, which I'm OK with. That's certainly reasonable. Uh, to let people know that marijuana does have an impact, that if you're going to be using, you should not be getting behind the wheel. And, and there is evidence that that shows that. Marijuana can and does impair you. I think we need to be very careful about comparing it to alcohol, and this was one of the key findings in this National Highway Traffic Safety Administration report last year. Now, this is from the, the U.S. federal government, no fans of, of legalization. But that alcohol is far and away more dangerous than other drugs. So look that change in your odds of an accident. If you compare driving sober to driving after using a variety of substances. Looked at marijuana, looked at antidepressants, painkillers, sedatives, stimulants, and looked at alcohol. Alcohol changed your odds of getting into an accident by about 600%. Nothing even came close. Nothing is even remotely close to 100%. Marijuana barely registers. Painkillers and sedatives increase your odds of getting in an accident more than marijuana does. Antidepressants and stimulants actually uh, lower your risk, interestingly enough. Uh, So, yeah, there there are other drugs that people use that do impair them, that do increase their risk of, of a fatal accident. And, and I think Jeff did hint at it. Listen, we're long here in this segment. we got to take a quick break. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.